I'm going to call the meeting to order. Clerk will call the roll. McCarville. Here. McCarville here. Miles. Miles absent. Nelson. Here. Nelson here. O'Loughlin. O'Loughlin here. Pan. Pan here. Pirtle. Pirtle absent. Richmond. Here. Richmond here. Rip. Here. Rip here. Rit. Here. Rit here. Rusk. Here. Rusk here. Saloff. Saloff absent. Shower. Here. Shower here. Schmidt. Here. Schmidt here. Solberg. Solberg absent. Stubbs. Here. Stubbs here. Veldrin. Veldrin absent. Wegleitner. Wegleitner here. Willett. Here. Willett here. Sweeple. Here. Sweeple here. Baird. Here. Baird here. Bollig. Here. Bollig here. Chenoweth. Here. Chenoweth here. Clausius. Clausius absent. De Felice. Here. De Felice here. Downing. Here. Downing here. Die. Die here. Erickson. Here. Erickson here. Farrell. Here. Farrell here. Gillis. Gillis absent. Hendrick. Here. Hendrick here. Kiefer. Here. Kiefer here. Kolar. Kolar here. Krause. Krause here. Levin. Levin absent. Matano. Here. Matano here. Corrigan. Here. Corrigan here. Miles and Pirtle are here. It looks like. Hold on. Anyone else? 30 members are here. We have a quorum. This evening, um, also I should mention that Supervisors Levin, Saloff, Solberg, Clausius, and Gillis had informed me that they would not be here with us this evening. Um, we're going to be led in our prayer inspirational message this evening by Supervisor McCarville. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. <clears throat> the recent past couple of weeks have been quite eventful. Um, the governor quit his race for the highest political office. The Speaker of the House resigned. The Pope came and left, and he left us with this great message. For one, it was the reality of impending defeat. For the, another, it was a moment of clarity. And for the Pope, it was a great message of God's love for all of us. I am very encouraged by all of these events. I am extremely hopeful for positive change in light of these events here at home nationwide and worldwide. We should all take a moment and think about where we are in life. What is it that is motivating us? Why are we doing the things that we do? What do we hope to gain or accomplish and at what cost? Are we making a difference, a positive difference? Are we just passing the time? I'll tell you a story. As a kid, my dad used to say to us at mealtime, have as much or as little as you want to eat, but if you put food on your plate, then you have to eat it. And you had to be excused by the old man from the dinner table. So I spent a few nights at the dinner table back then, long nights, because my eyes were bigger than my stomach. And I learned the lesson the hard way, not to waste. My dad used to say that kids are starving in Africa. Be thankful you have so much. He was right then, and he is still right today. Children still starve in this world, and I still think about my dad and his wisdom. The bigger lesson to all of us is not to waste ever and use what we have wisely if we do that there should always be enough to go around whether it is food money time goodwill or your moral character take care of it and we are so fortunate to live in a country that has so much let's protect it please be thoughtful be part of a solution and not part of the problem we accomplish much more when we give a helping hand up instead of an enabling hand out so try this sometime at home Ask yourself a question while looking in the mirror, and then answer yourself. 
and the truth will speak to you. We all have a conscience. It's that little voice that's deep inside of us. It's a reflection in the mirror that looks back at us. Pay very close attention to it, and it will steer you in the right direction. Please rise and pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Supervisor McCarville. This evening, under special matters and announcement, we'll begin with a presentation on Zero 2016 and an update on the services of what we've been doing and are working with our partners. We'll be joined by, if you want to come on up, you can come up to the microphone. We'll be joined by Lynette Rhodes from the City of Madison and Heather Dempsey, who works at the VA Hospital and is the Vice Chair of the Homeless Services Consortium, to give us the update. Um, so I'm Lynette Rhodes. I work with the City of Madison. This is Heather Dempsey with the VA. So before we start, how many of you guys have heard of the Zero 2016 initiative? Oh, great. I love to see that many hands. Thanks for inviting us. Um, we're very happy to be here to give you guys an update of what the initiative is and how we are doing so far as we go forward. So first, I just want to give you a snapshot of what we're looking at for the homeless population when it comes to data in Dane County. So twice a year, we go out and do a point-in-time count. What the point-in-time count is, is it's looking at how many people are in our shelters and are unsheltered on a given night. So we go out on one night in January, and we go out in one night in July. So as you can see with these numbers, our numbers are not going down at this time for the number of homeless people that are in our county. So this is kind of um, the same data that's nationwide. So this last year, well actually in 2014, um, HUD came out and said, okay, we need to look at the best practices that are going around in the nation and make sure that these communities are getting technical assistance. So the City of Madison and the Dane County um, COC worked together to submit an application to get technical assistance to start this Zero 2016 initiative. So these are all of the other counties that their applications were accepted. So the great thing about this is we're not alone. We have other counties that we can talk to. We're peered up with Ann Arbor, which is a very similar um, county to us. So we can throw back um, advice and best practices. We've gone to a couple uh, national, um, they call them action camps, and they really are action camps. We spent the whole time very much working on what our goals, what our priorities are, and talking to other communities. So we really have a good resource um, to see where we're going and what we're doing. So there are about 71 communities that were represented on that map. And every single one of these communities, the goal is to end veterans homeless by the 2015 and to end chronic homeless by the end of 2016. So we're getting that technical assistance and we're really starting to look at that data and making sure that we're doing data-driven decisions as we go forward. So once we looked at the data, and really the point in time data, that first slide you saw, that's what we started basing our numbers off of. And from that, we took down 
takedown targets. And so what takedown targets are, are what are we trying to accomplish? What are the numbers um, and what do we think that we can house in a year? Now I'm going to say, since we started the initiative, these numbers are subject to change. We continuously do a point in time count. We just did one in July, so we have new numbers. So in the next couple months, we're gonna be looking at these numbers again to make sure that we have the, the takedown targets that we're looking for. But at the time that we did these in June of this year, we said our goal in Dane County is to house 130 veterans this year in 2015. And by 2016, we're gonna house 135 chronic homeless people. That is our goal. That's what we think about at every meeting and that's what we're trying to accomplish. So one of our other big goals is to engage individuals that are homeless or formerly homeless. We want to engage elected officials, service providers, advocates, landlords, all these people that would be involved to help us achieve this goal because not just the service providers can make this happen. We need to talk to all of our different sources that can have an influence on this initiative. Um, we are currently using a coordinated entry to provide wraparound services. Like Lynette was saying, we want to make data-driven decisions. And then we're hoping once this is accomplished, homelessness will be brief, rare, and non-reoccurring. So we want to get it to a point where we have units available for somebody that may become homeless or is at risk of homeless that we can just get them rapidly rehoused instead of having them become chronically homeless. So in order to reach these goals, we have some key components. So this is what we've been doing. So one, we have a steering committee. We have a group of people that get together to decide how we're going to do this, um, give advice to other providers, give advice to our um, consortium at COC. We now have a VI SPDAT. What this VI SPDAT is, it's a um, national best, best practice, and it's a scoring tool to see who has the most barriers? Who should we be focusing on first in order to get them housed so that we don't have chronically homeless people on our streets? And then we have a housing priority list. Um, and this is a by name list. So we now have the name of individuals who we have taken this VI SPDAT score. So we have a lot more information about these individuals to make sure that they're getting the right case management, that they're getting into the right housing so that it's successful once they get into these housing units. Other key components we have is the relationship with the VA. Working for the VA, I know we're working pretty actively with our director's office and our chief of social work and our homeless program in general to have a strong partnership so we're aware of what's going on and we're trying to collaborate effectively with the other agencies. We're also looking at starting a housing placement group, which we would be able to use the by name list of the homeless individuals to be able to look at them as a group. What are the barriers to getting these people housed? Who can house them? Having landlords at the table as well, being willing to house some of these individuals. We're also gonna be using a housing first model, which is an evidence-based um, practice where you get somebody housed first, depending on barriers, and then give them the services in the home. It's really hard to focus on keeping sobriety or staying stable with your mental health if you're sleeping on the street trying to figure out where your next meal is. We would also incorporate harm reduction practices, which is another evidence-based practice used widely across the United States. Oh. This is a graph of our placement numbers. We did start out a little slow. Um, 
We have definitely increased starting in January. It was really difficult to house people in the winter. Not as, lot, as many units available. Um, August jumped up and we're finally having a little bit of a steadier progress and I can speak to say that the last month as well was much improved from our beginning numbers. Um, the goal is to house about 22 veterans a month. We're still a little shy from that, but we are working pretty actively to make that happen. So the next slide is the chronic numbers. Now, the chronic numbers are spaced out till the end of 2016. So the goal of housing the chronic, we only actually have to, if we want to meet our goal, is to house about um, six to eight chronic homeless people a month. So as you can see, we reach our goal a little bit more each month with the chronic homeless, um, but we're gonna continue to keep um, making sure that we're placing the chronic homeless into the permanent supportive housing units. So we wanted to talk about how the community can help. One of the biggest um, barriers we're running into is identifying housing units for people to move into. Affordable housing that can that is able to accept the individuals that we're working with. And then we're also needing supportive services to help provide those wraparound services to people when they're in their homes. Um, and then obviously we also need people to become leaders. This initiative is definitely a joint initiative. It's the city, it's the county, it's all of the providers that are in our consortium, and we need people to step up to lead this effort as we're going forward. And we need other people to activate their networks. We need people who will talk to landlords, will talk to the housing developers that are building in our county to make sure everyone sees this as a priority and we're moving forward in the right direction together. So that was our presentation. Does anyone have any questions for us at this time? Are there any questions? Supervisor O'Loughlin. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm on the Salvation Army Board of Directors, and uh, I really think uh, you've got a fairly good outline there, but I think there's a couple of issues I'd like to have you kind of expound a little bit on. And um, homelessness is, uh, there's a reason for it. There's an underlying reason for a person or a family to be homeless. And it kind of boils down to probably three reasons. Mental health, alcohol and drugs, and job. And I hope you have those three factors in mind as you're going out and talking to developers or builders or landlords, and I'm going to tell you why. When you try to sell a car, what's the first thing you do with it? You clean it. Clean it all up, because then you can most likely sell it. With the homeless population that I am very, very, very familiar with, we are trying to I don't like to use the word clean. Uh, we are trying to change. Is there a question? You... Okay, yeah, there is a question. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, the question is, what are you doing to help these homeless people 
in their efforts to become regular citizens in our, your program I see where you're going but I'd like to know if you peel it back a little bit what are we doing about mental health alcohol and drug job transportation I could go down the list but I'm so that's what we're addressing in the supportive services part. Housing first, then provide people with the supportive services to help them, if they're interested, to engage in mental health treatment, engage in substance abuse. Like I explained before, it is really difficult to try to address some of these things while you're living on the street. Um, so, But we are currently, we have programs. At the VA, we have what's called our HUD-BASH program, partnership with HUD, VA Supportive Housing, where people have case management to help them address their needs, search for housing, and other agencies have similar case management programs with them. Um, the only thing I'll add to that, too, is part of this initiative, as I said, is, is looking at those individuals and their barriers. Um, so doing that VI SPDAT score, we can see, okay, who needs to be in supportive permanent housing? So housing that has case management directly linked to it. Who just has um, certain barriers that they could go with a landlord and get minimum case management? And who just has some you know, bad luck, bad timing, um, who could probably resolve out of homelessness on their own? So all of that information now with the by name list and talking with providers with this housing placement group, we're looking at that information to make sure we're placing people in the proper housing so that they're not going back into homelessness if it's not successful. Supervisor Hendrick. Thank you. Um, I I think I saw the third goal uh, related to families that are homeless. I wondered if you can tell from the census how many children and how many parents are are included in the the July census. Um, sure, I have that number right now. So, in the July. So the number of families with children in our last July census, um, actually I'm going to tell you January because the numbers I put up there were January. So we had 112 families that were in shelter the night of our January point in time. Um, we actually did not count any families as unsheltered during our January point in time count. I don't know how many of those were children, but I could look that up for you. But there's 112 individuals in families. Supervisor Baird. <coughs> Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I just had a question. Um, I spent the day today at the Racial Justice Summit, so uh, racial issues are on my mind in particular right now. I know in, in the U.S. population, uh, approximately 40% of the United States, whoa, um, homeless population is African-American versus, I think, the, Afri the African-American population in the United States itself is around 15%. So that's, you know, a huge disparity. Do you know numbers um, for Dane County? And do you know, with your project, are you targeting um, African-Americans? So we're not targeting African-Americans. We're not basing a race or equity lens on who we're placing. Um, we're looking at other barriers like length of homeless and um, their score on this VI-SPDAT score. 
Um, but for the, I don't have actual percentages right now of the demographics, but I'm currently writing the 2014 annual report. Um, so I hope to have that out in a couple months. And in that report, it lists all the details of demographics for our county of um, homeless singles and families. So I can, I don't have that number right now, but I will have it soon. Off the top of my head, I don't know, um, but I can, I can get you 2013's report. It's on our website and I can send the link to the 2013 report for you. Supervisor Valdrin. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I just have a question on the two um, charts that you showed, the placement. Is that with the orange line, was that, the, was that on the right axis then? I guess was that, that's not really a Z axis. Which one is Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Let's just run away. Sure. So the, the green line is our goal. Right. Um, and the orange line is the remaining number of chronically homeless people if the average is maintained. So if we, they take the average of what we've been placing each month and um, say, if we can maintain this average, this is where we're, that's the trend line that we're right. going to. So those are, those numbers in the orange line are the right access to our, the 150 yeah. that total yeah. population. Now, how often do you update that? Obviously, this is a shot, a snapshot in time. It is. Um, so this is actually updated monthly. Okay. So we send our monthly placement numbers to our national TA and they post it online. Um, so you actually, I could also send that link to the dashboard mm. where it shows not just Madison, but all of the counties that are participating in 0-2016 oh, okay. of what the monthly numbers sure. are and how many people we're placing each month. Right. So do you have a measurement of success rate? Like how long they're in? People are, veterans are in? Are you permanent, it's permanent housing, is that's the goal, isn't it? You're saying that with the variety of services? Yes. I mean, that, that's the goal. We haven't started looking at recidivism rates sure. yet. Right now we're focusing on getting people into housing at this time. Great. Thank you. Supervisor Stubbs. Thank you, Madam Chair. My question is very simple. Um, how much money are you receiving for your uh, technical assistance, and then what do you expect to be the next steps after those dollars? I love to answer that question. <laughs> um, that would be zero. Mm -hmm. okay. I don't see any other questions. Thank you so much, Lynette and Heather, for Thank your you. presentation. Appreciate you coming tonight. Back to our calendar for to announcements. Does anyone have announcements this evening? Supervisor Erickson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, just wanted to mention something briefly regarding our sister county, Kassel in Germany. Um, we're going to commemorate two holidays, one German and one American, by having the German flag fly here at the city county building. Um, the first holiday is uh, a German holiday. It's called German Unity Day. It's when East and West Germany became um, unified in 1990. And that is Saturday, this Saturday, uh, October 3rd. And also this is the 25th anniversary of German um, reunification. So it's kind of a big deal that way. And the second one is an American holiday. It's called German American Day. And that was originally started here in the U.S back in like 1887 to commemorate uh, German immigration, German culture, and then it 
tapered off with World War I and World War II, and then was uh, restarted again around 1983 by President Reagan. So that is going to be Tuesday, October 6th, and the German flag will be flying starting tomorrow through next Wednesday morning. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Erickson. Supervisor Wegleitner. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I'm circulating a letter tonight to the City County Liaison Committee who voted um, just over a month ago to start enforcing trespass um, and loitering uh, ordinances here at the City County Building against the folks um, who are unhoused who have been sleeping here in relative safety. Um, I'm concerned that while some people can now access shelter due to trial extensions, there are definitely folks who will not be able to access shelter and have safe alternatives. So we're asking the City County Liaison Committee to um, reconsider their decision, rescind their decision, and intent and effort to enforce this. Thank you, Supervisor Wegleitner. Supervisor Rusk. Thank you, Madam Chair. I, I have uh, two announcements, so I'll be brief. Uh, first, I wanted to announce again that the community conversation on the criminal justice work group recommendations, the 30 plus, is going to be at Alliant on Monday, the 12th of October from 6 to 8.30 on the second floor. This is going to be a little bit more informal than a normal county meeting. We're going to have um, presentation from the work group facilitators on the overall recommendations, but we're going to split up into interest areas. We're also going to have um, light refreshments, which is somewhat unusual at a, at a county meeting. Um, but we're hoping you all have one of these postcards in your, in your mailbox, and we're hoping to get a, um, a good cross-section of the community that can talk to us and interact with us on the various recommendations. And secondly, in my district in Warner Park on Saturday, October 10, starting registration 7.45 and the uh, 7.45 a.m. with the walk itself at 9 is the 16th annual um, Dane County Alzheimer's Walk. This is the one that's been around forever with 100% of all of the dollars raised staying in Wisconsin, including about half a million dollars in the last eight or nine years directly for Alzheimer's research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So um, this year we have a very special guest. Our former colleague, State Representative Diane Hesselbein, will be with us. She was recently appointed to co-chair the Speaker's Task Force on Alzheimer's Disease, so she'll be there. It's a lot of fun. Um, you don't have to raise any money. If you do raise some money, you get these marvelous prizes, and there's about a um, very nice loop, uh, loop walk around the lake. So I just wanted to invite everybody to that. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Rusk. Saturday, the 10th of October, in the morning. Supervisor Ritt. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, just an announcement that there is still time to turn in uh, donations for this year's combined campaign. You can turn those in until October 30th. And a question. Do you have the best chili recipe? Um, at our next county board meeting, um, 6 p.m., right before the meeting starts, it's Thursday, October 15th, we are going to have a chili cook-off. So put your recipe to the test against other supervisors and staff. 
Um, we are requesting a $5 donation to sample as many chilies as you can possibly fit in you. Um, and the winner will receive the prize of knowing they made the best chili, and they'll also get to choose the um, recipient of the donations from the evening. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Ritt. Supervisor Downing. Well, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, there is yet another reason to visit Mount Horeb, as this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, they will have their 34th annual Fall Fest highlighting the, uh, their Norwegian heritage. Uh, there will be crafters in the street downtown. There will be a silent art auction, farmer's market, buggy rides, music, a food court, an antique tractor show, and... Um, I think one of the highlights will be on Saturday morning in the community building a um, Norwegian autumnal breakfast. Uh, it has a name here, if I could find it. Um, there it is. A Norway host fro coast. So um, come on out and uh, have, a, have a good weekend with us. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Downing. I see no more announcements, so we'll move on to the rest of our calendar. Um, oh, first, though, I do need to announce October birthdays. On October 8th, Supervisor Ritt is celebrating her birthday, and on October 29th, Supervisor Nelson will be celebrating his birthday. So happy birthday to both of you this month. Under item C, approval of payments, bills over $10,000 referred to the county board. Is there a motion? Moved by Matano, seconded by Erickson. Is there discussion? All those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and the bills over $10,000 are approved. Next is approval of the county board minutes. The minutes for September 16th and September 17th is there a motion? Moved by Nelson, seconded by Chenoweth. Is there a discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and the minutes of September 16th and 17th are approved. Under item F is the consent calendar. Are there any requests for separation on items F1 and F2? Seeing none, um, the motion before us is to adopt. All those in favor, is there discussion? All those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and, and the consent calendar is approved. Under item I, ordinances, the first ordinance amendment is ordinance amendment 4. Amending Chapter 34 of the Dane County Code of Ordinances to include electronic delivery within the prohibition of smoking in certain places. Um, the, the motion before us is from the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee. They recommended approval. And we have one witness registered wishing to speak in support. It's Emily White from the American Cancer Society Action Network. Good evening, Chair Corrigan and members of the Dane County Board of Supervisors, and thank you for the opportunity to speak on this very important public health matter. Um, my name is Emily White, and I represent the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. I'm pleased to offer our support of this ordinance to prohibit the use of electronic cigarettes in all public indoor spaces and workplaces, but would urge you to strike the language exempting retail electronic delivery device stores from the ordinance. The ordinance in front of you is not about individual use of e-cigarettes. It's not about prohibiting an adult from purchasing and using an e-cigarette. This ordinance is about maintaining our standard for smoke-free air, a standard that 86% of Wisconsinites overwhelmingly support. 
Dane County residents have come to expect going to a restaurant or a bar that has smoke-free air. We have a generation of young people that have grown up only knowing smoke-free air. Youth cigarette smoking rates continue to go down, but nationally, 15.5% of high schoolers are using e-cigarettes. Here in Wisconsin, we're at 8%. These products are being marketed as safe and cool, and kids are getting the message that these products are okay to use. And when they see them in restaurants and bars where cigarettes aren't allowed, that's mixed messaging. Opponents say that there isn't enough science on these products, or that the e-cigarette and tobacco industry-funded research they do have claims they're safe. But in fact, studies have shown that the use of e-cigarettes can cause short-term lung changes and irritations. Preliminary studies indicate non-users can be exposed to the same potentially harmful chemicals as users, including nicotine, ultrafine particles, tobacco-specific chemicals, and in some instances, formaldehyde, a known carcinogen. What's more, these products are untested and unregulated, and there's no way for consumers or bystanders to know what they're being exposed to. This ordinance is not about individual use. It's about public health and protecting Dane County's smoke-free air. We are asking that you don't subject bystanders in indoor workplaces, including restaurants and bars, to these untested and unregulated products. We need you to keep our smoke-free air strong, and we all deserve the right to breathe smoke-free air. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Is there any questions for, the, for Emily? No, thank you. Thank you very much. Is there discussion? Supervisor Schauer. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, in committee, I voted against this, but I am having reviewed the uh, information that's been provided to me and to the committee uh, since the committee meeting. I'll be voting for it, and I appreciate um, the efforts of the American Cancer Society and others in uh, taking care of this problem. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Schauer. Supervisor Willett. Thank you, Madam Chair. That's wonderful testimony, and it, it all sounds nice. However, I'd like to think about the people that do smoke these evil cigarettes, and I'm not one of them. I never have been. These e-cigarettes help people to quit smoking. They are a valuable tool for that. I had one employee that smoked for years. He went to one of these and has quit smoking completely, started with the ones that have nicotine in them, has since reduced it, and is very proud of the fact that he's now smoking the ones with no nicotine. Those particular ones do not have any of these bad things. Yes, some do. Yes, some don't. Yes, they're not all studied. But by outlawing these, and they're not completely outlawing, I know, by restricting, that's a better word, we're giving the message to these people that they should continue to smoke. If you're going to a restaurant and you're trying to quit smoking and you're using e-cigarettes, the, the storyline goes they can just go and be out there with the people smoking cigarettes. So what difference? Yeah, let's send the people trying to not drink alcohol to a bunch of people drinking alcohol. If you're trying to quit smoking, you want to be away from that. I've sat next to people using these Yes, some of them smell, some of them don't. But we're outlawing them all. We are way overstepping our bounds. We are way government stepping on things that we don't completely understand, that are not studied completely, and we're giving a death sentence to smokers. Vote against this. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Willett. Supervisor Chenoweth. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, originally, I, did, I too, uh, opposed this uh, in uh, the Executive Committee's review of this, but since then, I, I, my uh, issues were with, with uh, basically uh, more of a, um, an opinion from our public health uh, department regarding uh, the effects of the e-cigarettes and, and with the uh, 
some information we received this week, I, I found that this probably does pose, or this does pose a public health issue, which was kind of test, uh, given as testimony at our executive committee. So I will be supporting this, and I feel it's important that my colleagues on this board uh, support it too. Thank you, Supervisor Chenoweth. Supervisor Baird. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'll be brief. Um, I just wanted to add that along with this posing a, posing a health hazard and that in itself is a grounds to vote in support of it, um, I, I think that comments that were just made by a fellow supervisor and had been made in committee um, meetings before about the idea that we want to support um, people trying to quit smoking, I don't this, – this doesn't address that or undermine that at all. Currently in bars and in restaurants, individuals cannot smoke. So this is no change. If they need the e-cigarettes to help them wean their smoking, they can do that. You just don't do it in the workplaces where you're not allowed to smoke already. They're already weaned from smoking in the workplaces and in bars and restaurants because they can't smoke. So they're sort of apples and oranges, two separate conversations that have nothing to do with each other. So I hope everyone will join me in voting in support of this. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Baird. Supervisor Dye. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I want to rise and thank um, a number of you who have signed on to co-sponsor this ordinance amendment. It's something that's very important to me as someone who um, has had family members and friends who have uh, passed away from lung cancer. And um, my very first job out of college was working as a limited-term employee at the American Cancer Society. And I unfortunately had the opportunity um, to meet a number of people. and. Meeting them wasn't unfortunate, but what's unfortunate is they're no longer with us because of the effects of smoking. Um, I want to take issue with something that uh, was said by one of our previous supervisors. We are not handing anyone a death sentence with this ordinance amendment. If anyone is responsible for the deaths uh, that are happening as a result of smoking, it's the industries that continue to benefit from selling people addictive, cancer-causing substances. Uh, I have friends who smoke, um, and I have some friends who have found success, although e-cigarettes are not a um, authorized or approved cessation device, who have found success in using those to help them bridge the gap between smoking and not smoking. Um, and so I don't disagree that there are people who do use it for that purpose. However, that doesn't mean that they need to use it while they're in a workplace sharing an office with others who do not. It doesn't mean that they need to use that device while they are in a restaurant uh, having dinner next to a table or a family with a child with asthma. It's not our job to fix the problems that have been caused by the individuals who continue to make devices like some e-cigarettes that contain formaldehyde. I would be really happy to have a cessation device that was approved that did not include those chemicals for the public to use. Until that happens, it is our job to make sure that we are protecting all members of the public, that all members of the public can come and enjoy our county spaces, that all members of the public can work in environments that aren't going to make them sick or exacerbate pre-existing conditions, and that we can all enjoy our public spaces when we go to dinner with friends uh, and colleagues. So 
I think I'm not going to speak to the um, science because both our public health department and the American Cancer Society have put together uh, information which you've received pri prior to today, but I think it's clear that there are risks. Um, and this is an opportunity that we have to minimize those risks to make sure that we don't make the same mistake that others made many years ago in making the assumption that it was fine and there were no issues with secondhand smoke. That assumption that people before us made resulted in countless people losing their lives. Um, think about what our world would be like if some of those people were here today. This is a choice we can make. Maybe it's not as serious as that previous decision was, but we don't know yet because these devices haven't been around long enough for us to really know. We do know that there are issues for some people, even with short-term use, and we can make the right decision today. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you, Supervisor Dye. Supervisor Farrell. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. We got a lot of information on this subject over the past few months, and I've been doing a lot of reading and other, with other sources. And one thing that never came up in the information we received as a county board was the fact that the National Health Service in Great Britain, Socialized Medicine, for those of you who aren't aware of it, actually uh, gives prescriptions for e-cigarettes because they feel it is such an important way to, for people to end their smoking habit that they pay for it. They think they know there's some risks, but they still believe mm -hmm. that it is, is this important that they need to pay for it to, sit, to solve so many other problems. And that the science is not settled. They understand that. And many of the studies that or many of the speakers earlier this evening said the science isn't exactly settled yet. But let's let the science be settled a little bit. I understand the concern about people dying or about people having issues with, with e-cigarettes. So work on what's in the e-cigarettes. Why ban them completely? Why not uh, work with the manufacturers, have the federal government have some standards? and solve the problem that way. Thank you, Supervisor Farrell. Supervisor Pirtle. Uh, I have a question and then a comment maybe to the author of the resolution. Would you yield for a question? Uh, just to be clear, the resolution only bans the e-cigarettes in public places and places where the smoking ban is in effect? <coughs> Correct. Okay. So I guess my comment would be this. We seem to be having a debate about whether we like or don't like or the science around e-cigarettes which is kind of immaterial to the resolution that is before us, which is whether or not the smoking ban effectively applies to e-cigarettes. There are lots of things that are medically important. I think medical marijuana is important. I also don't want to sit next to someone while I'm having breakfast while they smoke medical marijuana. You don't allow that in a restaurant or a place, right? I mean, this is a question of workplace safety, what goes on in our restaurants and bars, what we allow and don't allow, and it's a policy decision we're making. In the kind of epic rhetoric about whether or not people are going to die or live or not and what this tool is and whether it's for cessation or not is a moot point because people still have the ability and freedom to buy and use these products, as they should. It's just a question of whether or not when we leave here and I sit down in a public restaurant, you can do it next to me. So I, with respect to everyone in the debate... I think this is a relatively simple question that we've now blown out of proportion. And the question is, should e-cigarettes be included in the ban? And I happen to think yes. We are not outlawing this product. I think this product has value, and some of them are very good. 
Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Pirtle. Supervisor Dye. Uh, thank you. I had a question for staff. Uh, from the Public Health Department, I just wanted to give you the opportunity, I believe in your brief, you mentioned um, the study that came out of uh, the UK saying that e-cigarettes were 95% um, more safe than cigarettes, and Supervisor Farrell has uh, discussed some of the actions that have been taken in the UK as well. Um, do you have a response to how we're addressing it here versus there? Sure. Um, I am Janelle Heinrich, I'm the health director, and I'm going to introduce Ryan Sheehan, our tobacco policy um, coordinator, and he can come on in and answer that question. Sure, thanks. Um, I'm not sure the study that was referred to is the same study that um, showed that 95% of um, these things are less harmful than a regular smoking tobacco. Um, the study that we had on our sheet that we handed out um, was done by the uh, Public Health England, you know, saying that they were less harmful. And so what we need to uh, recognize at the end of that study, there's a, a disclaimer there that uh, shows it was funded by e-cigarette advocates, um, those that were uh, funded by the e-cigarette industry. So I can't address the um, other study. I didn't research that one yet. Um, but we know that it's, um, whether or not it's um, safer, safer, this is really not about quitting smoking. It's about keeping our indoor air clean. And so there's sort of a separate issue. Are there further questions? Thank you both. The roll call has been requested on Ordinance Amendment 4. Clerk will call the roll. McCarville. Yes. McCarville. Hold on. Sorry about that. McCarville, aye. Aye. Miles. Miles I. Nelson. Aye. Nelson I. O'Loughlin. O'Loughlin I. Pan. Pan I. Pirtle. Pirtle I. Richmond. Richmond I. Rip. Rip no. Rit. Rit I. Rusk. Rusk I. Saloff. Saloff absent. Shower. Shower I. Schmidt. Schmidt I. Silberg. Silberg absent. Stubbs. Stubbs I. Veldrum. Belgian I. Wegleitner. Supervisor Wegleitner. Willett. Willett. No. Sweefel. Sweefel I. Baird. Baird I. Bollig. Bollig I. Chenoweth. Chenoweth I. Clausius. Clausius. Absent. De Felice. De Felice I. Downing. Downing I. Die. Die I. Erickson. Erickson, I. Farrell. No. Farrell, no. Gillis. Gillis, absent. Hendrick. Aye. Hendrick, I. Kiefer. No. Kiefer, no. Kolar. Kolar, I. Krause. Krause, I. Levin. Levin, absent. Matano. Matano, I. Corrigan. Aye. Corrigan, I. 27. 27 in favor. Ordinance Amendment 4 is approved. On Ordinance Amendment 19, chap amending Chapter 25 of the Dane County Code of Ordinances regarding purchases of vehicles for the Sheriff's Office. The motion before us is um, to approve, recommended by the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee. Is there discussion on Ordinance Amendment 19? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and Ordinance Amendment 19 is approved. Under J, Award of Contracts. 
Resolution 223, award of contract for the zoo walkway lighting at the Henry Vila Zoo. The motion before us um, is to approve, recommended by the uh, Public Works and Transportation Committee. Is there discussion on Resolution 223? Supervisor De Felice. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm going to ask the uh, forbearance of the, uh, the board because i got a couple of things I want to say about this, as small as it seems, and as routine as it seems. Perhaps something like this has happened to you while you're in a committee meeting or out on the floor. You get a seemingly uh, harmless, banal contract in front of you, as we did at the Public Works Committee, for uh, the zoo. And you look at it and you go, oh, it's a zoo. And then you go, oh, it's solar lighting. You go, oh, that's, you know, that's great. But, you know, while you're looking at this and there's discussion, you get this nagging feeling, you know. And here we're proposing to spend $100,000 at the zoo to put in solar-powered uh, lighting outdoors along the walkway. Well, finally it came to me that the zoo is not open at night. The zoo closes at 5 o'clock every day. And uh, so I had some questions about this. <clears throat> And in an unusual development, staff did not have the answers that time. They're, our staff is excellent. but So I abstained. That's what you'll see in looking at the record on the committee vote. And then I used the next two weeks to kind of go to work on that. And uh, I emailed. I, you know, I wrote things. I, I called in California. I talked to the bidders. And talked to staff. And I, and I learned some things. You know, I was reminded of the logic of solar, first of all. In Wisconsin, it, you know, it gets dirty and we have ice and snow. Uh, I learned that the relative shelf life of solar is, is not that great. And I'm not against solar. I think solar is great. I, I think we should do everything we can to encourage alternative uh, uh, energy. But in this particular case, I think some questions need to be asked. Um, I also learned that uh, there's a 35-pound battery for each light fixture. And uh, I learned that uh, there's no backup power for this. And that's because none of these are hardwired, and that's a good thing. Because if you go to the zoo and want to hardwire all those lights, you're just going to end up tearing up the ground and spending a, a ton of money. So you're going to plant these light poles along the walkway. I learned also that there is not a recycling facility in the United States for solar materials. And in particular, which should be of interest to us, that waste management doesn't think it's necessary. Whereas in Europe, they're way out of us, as they are in a number of things. Then I looked at the bids, and I, there were two bidders. They're both kind of local. And one was $30,000 more than the winning bid. So uh, I called the guy. I said, hey, what's up? And he says, well, you know, we, we looked at the specs, and everything is the same. They're going to get the lights from the same vendor out in California. Uh, you know, it's just, just kind of like a, a widget. You put a widget in the space. But you can plant light poles and then backfill them, or you can sink them in some concrete. And the specs called for concrete footings. And this guy said, in order for us to put concrete footings on these lights, 
That's why our bid is $30,000 higher. So then I wondered, well, what's the low bidder going to do? So I called him. And he said, basically, we're going to do it for that price. <coughs> Concrete included. So I said, we'll see. You know, if it, we're on that committee. If a change order comes in, I mean, we'll know. But someone might say, well, you know, you need lighting at the zoo because it's, you know, in those days when it gets dark early. Well, yeah, it gets dark early in, in fall and winter. And the enclosures for the animals outdoors are closed. And then somebody said, well, you know, there's special events out there. You know, after the, some of the special events are concurrent with the hours that the zoo is open, but many of them, most of them are after the zoo closes. So, you know, people are going to say, well, what about special events? Well, I say, what about special events? They've been, they've been held. <laughs> they haven't had a problem. And do we need to spend $100,000 on special events? Well, then what about security? You know, we need lighting at the zoo for security. Well, that may be. I mean, that's a good idea. But, you know, you go online and you look up security lights, you can get them for $35 to $274. And these lights will cost $5,000 each. So that's a pretty penny. You know, sustainability and alternative energy are great goals. But you also have to keep in mind the big picture about adding to the waste stream. So I already mentioned about the recycling of the solar panels. There is none. Batteries wear out, got to get rid of them. They are recyclable. But mining the batteries, making them, calls for significant amounts of copper and aluminum mining and the chemical processes that go into that. So I, I do question spending $100,000 on something that will be used for a public facility that's closed at night. And I especially question that when we compare the $100,000 to what we're spending now which is zero. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor DeFelice. So further discussion, Supervisor Schmidt. Um, thank you, Madam Chair, and um, thank you, um, Supervisor DeFelice, for looking into this and for um, questioning things. It's always good to question things. Um, I'd like to um, make a few comments as well. Um, the approval for this project came through the Sustainability Committee, and that's a competitive process where projects need to, um, they're evaluated on a number of criteria um, with respect to how they meet the sustainability goals. And um, uh, I'm looking at the results of the analysis that was done, and it's not really a question of whether or not you should have lighting or not lighting. Um, we all know that there are security issues and that there are public events where lighting is going to be needed at the zoo. Um, the question is, what's the most cost-effective way to do lighting over the lifetime of the um, options available to us for the types of lighting? So um, as part of our sustainability um, analysis that's done, we look at payback time and we look at cost of traditional lighting versus more sustainable lighting. And then, we do, and then we make a decision after that. Um, I'd like to note that um, there are um, uh, 
a few misstatements, including the cost of the lighting. They are not $5,000 a light. Um, but more importantly, um, what, these, what this lighting will do is really reduce our carbon footprint. Um, we're looking at um, a, a, a payback of um, saving 26 tons of CO2s emitted annually. We're looking at um, a significant um, energy savings of $34,000 kilowatt hour saved on the grid. Um, we're looking at a payback year of um, approximately uh, 10 years, um, at which point we will be seeing a um, net savings for the county operations, and I'll find that number in just a minute. Um, uh, let's see, we're looking at a total savings of about $152,000 to $213,000 over the life of the project. Um, in addition, um, and to over the life of the, the lights, I should say, um, a total of 520 tons of carbon, of, 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 um, carbon emissions. Um, in addition, the whole point, one of the, one of the major points of the Arctic Passage and the new um, uh, exhibits at the zoo is to highlight sustainability in our operations and at the zoo and um, to educate the visitors. There's 750,000 visitors that come uh, to the zoo. These lights, being photovoltaic LED lights, um, will be um, earmarked with educational panels so that people coming there can understand the amount of carbon emissions that are um, saved and the overall, over the life of the lighting, the cost savings that the county will experience and the zoo will experience by implementing these lights. And I also have um, one other question uh, for staff, if I could ask staff. Jerry, I think you're it. Um, but this is one I know you'll, you'll know the answer to. <laughs> um, when we do contracts for projects like this, and we get multiple bids. We um, look at the, I'm just I'm asking you to confirm this. We look at the different bids and we assess whether or not the lowest bidder has got a valid bid that will enable them to do that project. Is that correct? That's correct. So if a contractor bids on a project and they have the specs and they don't include in their bid something that they should have known they have to do for part of that project, um, do they just do a change order and we accept that, or do we hold them to the bid that they, that they estimated? We do hold them to that bid, or if there's a big discrepancy in the bid, there'll be a call that we made that day going, did you miss something? Um, there's some communication that takes place, but then also project managers will look at every one of those requests as people submit to see if they've looked at it. And oftentimes when the change order has gotten to the committee, uh, a long negotiation has gone on to get it down to where we think it's fair. And, and my understanding with most projects are when you decide not to approve a change order, we don't see it at the committee level. Is that correct? correct? So we don't see all of the effort that staff go through where we say, no, you needed to have done that. It's in your contract. We're not going to accept this change order. We're going to hold you to the contract that you um, submitted. That's, That's correct. correct. Okay. Thank you, Jerry. So um, I just wanted to make sure that the board understands that 
when we approve things through the sustainability program and the sustainability fund, we do a detailed assessment. I have four pages of assessment that's done here, looking at payback period, looking at the sustainability principles that we have, and there are many projects that we don't approve because they don't meet um, an appropriate uh, payback. And this project met our criteria. It's a good project for the zoo. It will save the zoo and the county operations in the long term, and it will help educate and meet our sustainability principles. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Schmidt. Supervisor Erickson. Thank you, Chair Corgan. I just wanted to mention a couple other points briefly, too, on this. Um, it's coincidental that I mentioned something about Germany. And um, Germany and you know, most of Europe is way ahead of us when it comes to renewable energy, but also specifically solar energy. Um, Germany just set a record. It seems like every year they're setting records. The latest one, I think, was in July for renewables, where they got 78% of their total electric power from renewables, not solar, but wind, solar, et cetera. Um, so Germany and Europe is further ahead of us in terms of that. I think something that was mentioned earlier, I appreciate uh, Supervisor De Felice's comments. Um, I think one of the things that maybe he said and some people um, have a concern about is that, well, we have a lot of winter here. It's cloudy here. So solar panels aren't doing anything, you know, when it's cloudy. And that's not really true. They are still generating electricity um, on cloudy days, regardless of, the, of whether the sun's out or not. And also Germany has more cloudier has more cloudy days than we do, and, you know, they're doing a lot, you know, with solar. Um, so there's that point. The other point I appreciate Dave, Supervisor Dave Felice mentioning is the um, renewable aspect uh, in the waste stream. Um, I think that's a valid point of what happens to these when their life is over after 50 years or 70 or whatever it is. And I think that's a valid point. Also, minerals that are being uh, mined for devices like this. However, <clears throat> Again, as I said, Germany and Europe is further ahead of us, and their waste stream is probably better. But that's also because they took initiatives in renewable energy, and specifically solar, um, and their local governments and federal government took initiatives similar to this to try and move things along. And again, that's why they're ahead of us. And that's why I see this as an initiative that you know I think that we should pursue to pursue um, you know any renewable option for energy. Um, specifically to the lighting, um, it's in my district, the zoo is. I think there are security concerns um, where I think some more lighting would be helpful. Um, there have been times since I've been on the zoo commission for nearly 14 years that there have been people who have gotten in the zoo after hours at night, and there's a security guard on duty, but the police have been called. So from a security standpoint, I think it would be helpful. There's also issues with animals um, that can happen 24 by 7, so having more light available is positive there. And again, events are, being, are happening now to you know, generate more revenue for the zoo, but the hope and the goal is to, is to have more of those, and also now since we have Arctic Passage, we also have the Glacier Grill, and again, having more lighting after hours will be helpful when those, most of those events have taken place. So I just wanted to mention a couple things like that. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Erickson. Supervisor Schauer. Thank you, Madam Chair. I just had one question for Supervisor Schmidt. Um, again, I... I uh, want to thank her and the committee for all the work they've done on this. One thing from your test, your uh, your testimony to us uh, was that, that I found that, that I wanted clarification on was Supervisor Shower, your your question is to the chair. I apologize, Madam Chair. I've, I could have some clarification from somebody about whether or not the um, 
you know, if this is new lighting, no matter how eco-friendly, how is adding additional lighting lowering our carbon footprint? Um, Supervisor Schmidt, will you respond to that question? Thank you. Is this working? Um, as I said, um, there's going to be, um, there is a need for lighting, so lighting will need to be there. The choice is, do we have traditional lighting or do we have this kind of lighting? So given that, it's not a question of do we have this lighting or no lighting, it's which type of lighting do we have? Do we have the more energy efficient, sustainable type of lighting or do we have traditional lighting that has a higher footprint? Does that help? Um, yes, that does clarify things. I wanted to make sure that the cost savings um, over time, as well as the carbon footprint, was um, something that you were comparing to um, other types of lighting. As a, right? That was my confusion, and I appreciate the um, clarification. Thank, Thank you, Supervisor Shower. Supervisor Hendrick. Uh, I think most of the points have already been made. The only thing I would add is that as we go into the budget process, um, I think this is a good reminder that the SMART fund, I think Supervisor Schmidt named it, uh, and I've been happy to serve on the sustainability committee that makes these decisions. I believe the SMART fund is in the capital budget and the savings are in the operating budget. So not only do we save money, but we save our most favorite kind of money. Thanks. Thank you, Supervisor Hendrick. Supervisor Dave Felice. Thank you, Madam Chair. Just wanted to respond to a couple of comments that were made. First of all, the math, you know, the $5,000 a light, okay, maybe that was an exaggeration, but the whole thing's going to be $100,000, like 96, and there's going to be 20 lights. So that's where I got, you know, came up with that. Uh, it's been vetted by sustainability, but, you know, there was a claim in there that these last 20 years, well, Nobody knows, and I asked for uh, some clarification, some documentation on that, and I, I didn't get any. You know, this net savings uh, of $152,000 to $213,000, this is just like the medical examiner. You know, we got the medical examiner taking on new business from Brown County and wherever. We're building a $9 million, and here we're, cre we're creating a need for lighting that isn't needed. I mean, they're not using it now. They haven't used it in the, what, 90-year history of the, of the zoo. So how can you save money when you aren't spending it in the first place? You're creating a false choice in that, okay, we're going to invest in this lighting, and then we will, we will save. That is valid. But you can't say you're saving money, like, from zero, because there is no cost right now. You know, there's a group called Friends of the Zoo, and I have to compliment them because they are really strong supporters of the zoo. But I think in a, in a, in a manner such as this, perhaps they should consider picking up the cost for this. And finally, it's cloudy in Wisconsin 117 days of the year. That's one-third. So maybe it does charge during a cloudy day, but does it charge as not enough as is needed? I don't know that, but I'm just raising the question. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor DeFelice. Supervisor Chenoweth. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'll make this brief. I actually want to commend the uh, Sustainability Committee for really kind of going into this uh, issue. But I kind of agree with my uh, colleague uh, where I, I don't see the need. I, I think it's a generated need uh, that's uh, uh, brought about by uh, uh, 
to, for, for use of uh, renewable energy. I do see needs out at the zoo that could probably uh, warrant uh, a, 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 um, a renewable energy alternative. And one of them is uh, there's there's tremendous amount of power being, gener uh, being used out there to generate pumps and, and recycle water. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's a need for our sustainability committee and maybe even staff itself to kind of look at how we might want to re retrofit some of the pumps and, and, and use, uh, use renewable energy and, and, and saving some of the energy out there in a, in a process that's happening to date. Uh, it's not something, we're not creating a need for lighting to, to create a renewable energy kind of alternative. We're, we're creating a renewable energy solution to a, 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 an energy consumption that we have already. So I, I think the long and short of it is I, 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 I really have some issues with the fact that we have a, uh, um, we have a project that's really kind of generated for lack of need. There's no lighting there now. There's not going to, I don't see a use maybe sometime in the future, but right now we have other power sources or other power savings we could actually consider out there by using solar power uh, that might be more uh, advantage. Thank you, Supervisor Chenoweth. Supervisor Erickson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, yeah, I guess the future is now. Um, so, and part of that is that we now have the Arctic Passage, and with that, it's, we have another um, complex exhibit. Um, the hope is to use that for events to generate more income, but for that, um, there could be a need for additional lighting. I think that there is. I also trust our staff in evaluating things and seeing that that need is there. I think Supervisor Schmidt said this. If we added more lighting, it was traditional lighting, it would cost more in terms of operating. The other point I wanted to make is the zoo has been an excellent example of sustainability on many different levels, from having a small electric vehicle to having um, heating pumps, which are in the aviary, which is a very complex building, uh, additionally to having green roofs. Um, however, there is one point. Utilities are very expensive, specifically water, so a major feature that was added in the, solar, um, the Arctic Passage is underneath where the bears are, there are major, there are large tanks there, and the water's drained into that. The pools where the bears are located are cleaned, and that water is brought back in. So we're not using new water every time. And so that's a major cost savings uh, with the Arctic Passage. Um, I think the other point I just wanted to mention again: solar panels do generate electricity, you know, for much longer than people expect. So I just want to mention that point again too. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Erickson. Supervisor Hendrick. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I, I really uh, want to appreciate the comments of both sides of this debate. I think people engaging on the subject of sustainability and energy alternatives is a very healthy debate. And uh, when we talk about cost savings, we always uh, should be careful that we are considering all the costs of both options and make sure that they are truly savings. Um, and finally, on the point of uh, the previous supervisor talking about other projects at the zoo. I believe the 2016 budget includes a solar array on the uh, roof of the zoo administration building. So you already got your wish. Thank you, Supervisor Hendrick. Supervisor Belgian. Thank you, Madam Chair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, if we were talking about traditional lighting, 
like was earlier suggested, then we are then talking about an LED light. Let's just say that would be. But then we're talking about putting wires in the ground, digging up the place, um, and then we're, we're increasing that footprint. There obviously, as, as previous supervisors said, there's a need for new lighting. And this may lead to longer hours anyway for in the future. So this would also be something that will save even more money and possibly usage over time. I mean, like we said, we, the future is now, as the previous supervisor said, we can't to stop and say, we'll pick and choose. That's what the sustainability is doing. That's what this fund was created for. So I think we need to appreciate the work that they've done and time they've committed to this. So I urge you to pass on this. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Veldrin. Supervisor O'Loughlin. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I know we want to make effective use of our sustainability fund, and I know we're coming down to the end of the year. Um, I, I am I'm questioning if, in fact, if the sustainability committee looked at this project and weighted against other county projects that could be lighted as compared to a project that has no visitors after five o'clock in the <clears throat> zoo. So I'm 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 really taken aback in that. Um, does the Lion Energy Center campus have uh, the possibility of putting some of these lights in where there are needs for lighting at night? Um, does our new campus out on 12 and 18 have the possibility of putting $100,000 worth of lighting into that contract out there? So um, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that we either send us back for more study or we defeat it. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor O'Loughlin. Supervisor Schmidt. Thank you, Madam Chair, and um, thank you all for this um, great debate. Um, this proposal for the zoo lighting um, was presented to the committee in uh, 2014, round two. Uh, it had much a debate, much discussion. There wasn't anything in there about trying to use up sustainability funds. Um, the fact is that there needs to be lighting at the zoo. The basis of putting in the grill and the Arctic Passage is to have an opportunity for people to have wedding banquets, parties, receptions, many other uses to generate revenue so the zoo can keep operating. Those investments rely on evening activities. It's true, the zoo is not open at night for traditional hours, but we're talking about a new model of operation that is in effect right now. Okay? So we need to have lighting at the zoo. I'm sorry that the zoo director isn't here to further explain how their model works in terms of the funding and the investment that they put in to this Arctic Passage and to the, what's the name of the grill, Chuck? Sorry. What is it? Glacier Grill. Sorry. So, so the fact is that we have this huge investment. We're going to get a great return on that investment by having these other opportunities for people to use these facilities in the evening. So it's not a question of lighting, no lighting. It is lighting, which type of lighting. We have a sustainability model at the zoo that they're trying to, to use. There are educational opportunities here. The cost effectiveness is here. The saving the carbon, uh, the carbon release for, from traditional lighting is here. Um, I will note that we have funded lighting projects at the Alliant Energy Center. We have 
funded many different conversions of types of, light, types of lighting. We look at the data, we look at the facts, we look at the assessment that's done, and we determine in the Sustainability Committee whether or not it's a cost-effective proposal, and that determination has been made. We don't need to bring this back to the Sustainability Committee. The data's here, that's why we've moved this forward, and that's why I'm asking for your support. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Schmidt. Supervisor Willett. Thank you, Madam Chair. That was quick. It must be a short list. Um, question for staff, if anyone on staff knows the answer to this. I hear numbers about how much money we're saving, and I hear that we didn't have lights on before. So my question would be, the numbers that are used as far as the savings, is that assuming these lights are running 365 days a year, or is it assuming they're running for X number of days over the events that we're now hearing that we need the lights for? I don't know if there's anyone there's here. There's staff here that would be able to answer that question, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, I don't know if you heard the question. It was um, on the lighting, if um, the estimates use 365 days a year running or if they use it just for the time that they would be running for... Uh, other projects that we've looked at that were on the sustainability committee, so they, uh, we're looking at kind of the operating, so like a typical operating time period when they would be using lights <laughs> on this specific project. I don't know if that was the case. So I kind of figured that would be an interesting question since nobody knows quite when they're going to be on. Um, so you don't, you're guessing that it's based on 365 or on events? I don't, I don't know yeah. exactly what they did if you look at that part of it. So. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I would move that we send this back to committee to bring us the numbers of what, what that's based on. I, I really need, in order to vote for it, need to be able to see that these savings that we have are based on events that are truly going to exist, not on 365 days. The motion by Supervisor Willett is to um, um, return this resolution, resolution number 23, to committee. Is there a second? Seconded by O'Loughlin. Is there discussion? Supervisor Hendrick. Uh, thank you. I guess I get to speak again because it's a new yeah, motion. Yes, it's a new motion. He'd probably be sorry for that in a moment. Um, <laughs> But I, I, will, I will be brief again. I, I wanted to reemphasize uh, the comments that uh, Jerry Manley gave because he is on the committee, and we have a number of staff as well as a couple supervisors on the committee, and all of us have spoken and now have two more times to speak. Um, but the, the committee always looks at the likely operating period for any lighting project or really for any project. And uh, I would also emphasize what Supervisor Schmidt has said. Um, these are scrutinized. I don't know if I'm one of the more strict people, but I always insist that there be a payback period, um, not that it just meets some of the sustainability criteria, but that the payback period must impress the committee. So we don't do it just to give out all the money. Uh, we do it on a competitive basis. We compare it to other projects that are submitted. Uh, but even then, even though we have money available, we will not do a project if it doesn't have a, a good uh, justification. And so um, a project like this, the savings will be based on the likely amount of uh, operation, and that operation time will then be multiplied by the savings. 
Uh, I think we had another example. It wasn't in the same round, but uh, Supervisor Schmidt will remember this, uh, that the Parks Department had proposed some lighting uh, that then would be light activated. So the lights in the restrooms, the park restrooms, would only come on when it got dark enough. And we questioned that, and we said, since you have skylights and you are estimating a very small operating period for these lights, it doesn't seem like it meets the criteria. And they actually went back and they looked at that and they said, yes, we're withdrawing part of our proposal. So it's the exact type of thing that the committee would question, and it is exactly how it is calculated in the committee is the projected uh, operating time and the savings are based on those numbers. Thank you, <clears throat> Supervisor Hendrick. Supervisor Pirtle. You know, when this came through finance, and I, we were aware that there have been questions on some of these other issues, but I think Supervisor Hendrick raises some excellent points, which is <clears throat> as the sustainability fund has gone through all of its work and the analysis is done and the paperwork is stacked, sometimes I worry when the county board has a short agenda, maybe we get a little bit into talking about very small grants or you know, doing committee work on the floor because, you know, we, we don't have to be here till midnight. I heard the city council was here for a really long time the other day. Maybe we could go to 3 a.m. The issue here at the end of the day is not that there aren't valid questions that have been asked. I guess my concern is I think they have been asked and answered, and it's unfortunate that the zoo director isn't here to walk us through all the technical details, but having gone through two committees and having the committee chair look at it, having had the debate vetted, having had the four-page report, having the committee do the review, having it gone through finance, everybody said it was fine, I don't really feel the need to go back and do that another time before we can come back and have this debate again, which we will then not debate it, we will just vote it through. So on the question of re-referral, I'm a no, because we did this once, and I don't really feel like we need to do it again. Due diligence has been done very thoroughly. I feel confident about that. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Pirtle. Supervisor De Felice on re-referral. On re-referral. Correct. Well, I just want to reiterate, there is zero cost now. So there's no savings to be achieved if we don't spend money. And... Some people may be dismissive of this as a small matter, but it's been through two committees. There was a member of the committee, myself, who had questions that weren't answered. Now we have members on the floor who have questions, and they have not been answered. So I would put forth that this is an issue that needs further uh, inspection, further vetting, if you will. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor De Felice. Supervisor Keeper. Well, I would agree with one of the previous speakers that it is unfortunate that the zoo director is not here. Um, I know we went through this before on a different uh, matter not related to the zoo of the uh, relevant department uh, person not being here. And I do think when we're looking at spending $100,000, um, it would be good to have that department head here and able to respond to questions about it. I do think we are getting into doing committee work on the board floor. and. Um, I think we should do the committee work in the committee, and then when this eventually comes back to the board floor, I would hope that the department head for the zoo uh, would be here, so I would support re-referring it this time so we can re reset the table and get it right the next time. Thank you, Supervisor Keeper. 
Any further discussion on re-referral? If not, all those in favor of Supervisor Willett's motion to re-refer Resolution 223 to committee say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. No. The noes have it and the motion fails. On the motion to approve Resolution 223, um, is there further discussion? Supervisor DeFelice, you've already spoken twice on that motion, on the original motion, so you don't have, you're not able to speak again on the original motion. I have my full 10 minutes. You already used up your full 10 minutes on the first, and you only get to speak twice, no matter how much time. Um, is there further discussion on Resolution 223? Roll call has been requested. Clerk will call the roll. McCarville. Aye. McCarville, I. Miles. Aye. Miles, I. Nelson. Aye. Nelson, I. O'Laughlin. No. O'Laughlin, no. Pan. Pan I Pertle, Pertle I Richmond, Aye. Richmond I Rip, Aye. Rip I Rit, Rit I Rusk, Aye. Rusk I Saloff, Saloff absent, Shower, Shower I Schmidt, Aye. Schmidt I Silberg absent, Stubbs, Aye. Stubbs I Veldrin, Veldrin I Wegleitner, Wegleitner I Willet, Willet no, Zweifel, Zweifel I Baird. Baird I Bollig, Bollig I Chenoweth, no. Chenoweth no, Clausius, Clausius absent, De Felice, no. De Felice no Downing, no. Downing no Die, Die I Erickson, Aye. Erickson I Farrell, Farrell I Gillis, Gillis absent, Hendrick, Aye. Hendrick I Kiefer, no. Kiefer no, Kolar. Kohler I, Krause, Krause I, Levin, Levin absent, Matano, Matano I, Corgan. Hi. Corgan I. The vote is 25 to 6. Resolution 223 is approved. On Resolution 361, Study and Design of a Crisis Intervention Team Program, is um, the motion before us is to approve. Um, um, moved by the recommended by the Public Protection and Judiciary Committee. Supervisor Baird. Yes, um, I'd like to move um, the version as amended by HHN, and then I have an amendment to that uh, version that is on everybody's desk. So first, I'd like to move that. If there's a moved, moved by Baird, seconded by Hendrick to uh, move the version um, approved by the Health and Human Needs Committee. And, and then, then on your motion, I'd like to move um, an amendment. Well, we have to do one thing. Well, um, no, it's I'm just making the. She's the motion um, before us is to, well, you're right, we have two motions before us. Um, I don't know what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Sorry. Let it, so there's a motion to? To motion to, she moved, instead of moving the PPN, the Public Protection okay. and Judiciary I'm Committee moving motion, the she moved the Health version. and Human Needs motion. And, and now I want to amend the Health and Human Needs version. And Supervisor Hendrick has seconded that um, Supervisor Baird's There's amendment to the sheet, Health and Human Needs. Version. A sheet that should be on everyone's desk. Um, Clerk McDonald, I hope you got a copy. If you didn't, we will get you one. Um, I will read it. It says, be it further resolved that information on the need to expand mental health crisis services be provided in person mobile crisis 
I'm sorry, to provide in-person mobile crisis response teams on a 24 hours a day, that should be a comma, seven days a week basis, as well as the cost to provide such services, as recommended by the Mental Health Solitary Confinement and Incarceration Work Group, shall be provided to both PPJ and HHN by November 1st, 2015. Would you like to speak to your motion? Yes. So the CIT program, this was a recommendation um, by... Uh, the mental health work group of um, our jail reform work groups specifically to look at the expansion of this from 24 um, to make sure uh, crisis services are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I also understand that um, there is a provision for it in County Executive Parisi's budget, so all the more relevant of why we should make sure that this is brought up at committee so that if that's the appropriate provision in County Executive Parisi's budget, that it is maintained. Thank you. Um, any discussion on Supervisor Baird's amendment to the health and human needs? Um, seeing none, all those in favor of Supervisor Baird's amendment say aye. aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it. And um, on the main uh, motion of, um, the, of Resolution 361 as amended by health and human needs, is there discussion? All those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and Resolution 361 is approved. We're now on items, um, item M, on items requiring a two-thirds majority for passage. Um, on items M1 to any M3, are there any requests for separation? Seeing none, um, if there's no objection, I'd like to um, record them as having passed unanimously. Is there any objection? They will be so recorded. On such other business, oh, Supervisor Hendrick, on such other business as the county board is authorized to conduct by law. Thank you. Uh, once again, uh, I would like a motion to remove from all committees and place on the county board agenda ordinance amendment 64, living wage for inmate workers. Second. Thank you. That will be on next month's calendar. Pardon? Supervisor Hendrick, what is the resolution number? Ordinance 64. Ordinance Amendment 64. Any other supervisors requesting um, to be recognized on such other business? Seeing none, is there a motion to adjourn? Moved by Chenoweth, seconded by Shower. All those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. The ayes have it, and we are adjourned.